Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Media Podcast Network. This is What the Heck with Mike Heck on MMAFighting.com. Now, here is your host, Mike Heck. What the heck? Well, hello there, everybody, and welcome to a brand new edition of What the Heck on MMA Fighting. I am Mike Heck. Hope you're all having a great week. Hoping you've all recovered from a storyline-filled UFC 254 event this past Saturday, which was capped off by Habib Nurmagomedov defending his lightweight title against Justin Gaethje, submits him in the second round, and then Habib Nurmagomedov announces his retirement from the sport. And what a career this man has had. But listen, after the passing of his father, Abdulmanap, we knew this could be a possibility, but all the talks were around that very round 30-0 and 0 number. So it was kind of a surprise, but he did make a promise to his mom, and I believe he will stick to that. But certainly, one of the greatest to ever step foot in the cage. He retires 29-0 as the lightweight champion of the world. In his last three fights, I mean, what a ridiculous run that has been. Wins the title against Ally Quinta after all that craziness of the UFC 223 fight week in Brooklyn. Then he goes on to finish Conor McGregor, finishes Dustin Poirier, and then on Saturday submits and finishes the surging Justin Gaethje. This is one of the best three-fight stretches you will ever see in our sport. And of course, the big conversation now, it's been widespread throughout the MMA community. We're back with the the GOAT conversation. There's pound-for-pound talk, and then there's the GOAT talk. And I know we talked about this a lot on Between the Links with Jed Mishu and Ant Walker. Go back and check that out. But to me, I haven't really weighed in on this. There's a difference between the pound-for-pound conversation and the GOAT conversation. And look, this is all so completely subjective because some people weigh things one way, others weigh things the other. There's a lot of different ways to go about this conversation. Oh, there goes my computer. Oh, let's mute that. So basically the question is, do I think he is the greatest fighter to step foot inside the cage or the UFC hallowed octagon? He's right up there. At worst, he's top three in my opinion. But right now, right this second, in the UFC retirement aside, at this very moment as I speak to you all, Habib Nurmagomedov retires as the current pound-for-pound king. Right now, in the current landscape of the UFC, There is nobody better than Habib Nurmagomedov. And that's the difference between GOAT and pound for pound. Because GOAT, we look at, you know, the full career. And Habib's is right up there. But when we look at numbers and math and statistics and all that stuff, I mean, who who am I to say anything? There's certainly arguments for 
Habib being the greatest of all time. And if you told me that, I wouldn't fault you for that take in any way, shape, or form. Plus, just think about it. Like, compared to John Jones, Anderson Silva, GSP, and others, think about it this way. He had to wait an awful long time to fight for his title for reasons, quite frankly, that were outside of his control between injuries, the whole Conor McGregor thing, you know, they used him as a pawn to book McGregor versus Eddie Alvarez. McGregor wins the title. Then he goes off and boxes Floyd Mayweather and the title is vacated. And so Habib never got his opportunity. Had he gotten the opportunity a long time ago when many felt that he deserved that shot, he could have been champion for a long time. But again, that is outside of his control. Arguably, you know, the GOAT conversation in the top three, he's there for sure. Where I put him, I don't have an answer for you. Maybe that's like a weak way out. But as of right now, he absolutely retired as the best and most dominant fighter on the planet. Hands down, more dominant than Jones as of right now over Adesanya, over anybody on that list. If you go to the UFC rankings and see the top 15 pound for pound, Habib's up there at number one. And I don't agree with the UFC rankings and how they do different things, i.e. Leon Edwards, taking him out of the rankings so that he would sign to fight Hamzat Shemaev. I agree with this. Habib, as of right the second, the number one pound for pound fighter on the planet. Either way, Habib is leaving on his own terms and as on top in the sport as one can be. And for that, he should be celebrated. There's no need to argue, you know, about the GOAT and however you feel about the GOAT conversations. I don't really care. Like I said, there's just so many variables to it, so many different people, so many different eras. It's all just so subjective. So rather than fight about it, you can have your opinion and that's fine. If my opinion isn't the same or, you know, Joe Schmo's opinion isn't the same as yours, there's no need to fight him on that. That's just their opinion. That's how they view things. It's just like judging a fight. Like when it's a close fight and you judge it for one guy, somebody else might judge it for another guy for different reasons. Maybe they favor wrestling more. Maybe they favor striking. Maybe they, you know, favor control. It's, it's up to each individual person to decide what they favor over the others. But the way I look at it right now, it's time to congratulate Habib Nurmagomedov on an incredible career. And now the lightweight title is one of the biggest stories to round out 2020 heading into 2021. Although I would guess that they'll make the McGregor Poirier fight for the title on January 23rd, should they that fight get put together. But it's going to be very interesting with Gaethje still there with Poirier, Ferguson, Connor, even Charles Oliveira. Now you got Michael Chandler in the mix. Lightweight is just fantastic. It has been for a while. And I feel like Bantamweight has kind of like overshadowed it in a way as like the deepest division. But if it wasn't at the top of the discussion now in terms of like the deepest and most interesting divisions in the UFC, and it's always been right up there in like the top two or three, it's number one in terms of interest and intrigue right now but we talked all about the goat stuff on between the links so after you watch this you can go back and watch that and let your opinions be heard if you so choose but we have a lot to discuss this week as it pertains to ufc 254 tonight's bellator 250 event and then we got ufc vegas 12 going down this saturday back in las vegas no more fight island so let's run down the lineup we'll get to our first chat of the show this is a a who's who, a mixed bag, so to speak, of different organizations, different fighters, different stories. So wrapping us up, we're going to check in with Dustin Jacoby. He returns to the UFC Octagon for the first time in almost a decade. He earned a contract on Dana White's Contender Series. He got his second chance. And now he's going to fight Justin Ledette this Saturday on Halloween. So we'll check in with Dustin Jacoby to wrap up this week's program. Before that, 
we're going to talk to Johnny Campbell. And if you're not familiar with the name Johnny Campbell in the MMA circles, if you're from New England, you definitely know who this man is. But you may be familiar with videos and images from this past Friday night. So Johnny Campbell takes on Ari Farias for the interim Bantamweight title at Tora MMA 10 in Brazil. And 25 seconds into the fight, it is stopped. Why? Because Johnny's ear was detaching from his head. It was just a wild scene. I'm sure you've seen the photos by now or the videos. It's just a very unfortunate set of circumstances for a guy like Johnny Campbell, who's been waiting all year for a fight. New England MMA regional scene has been pretty much non-existent. I know he's had some Bellator opportunities that fell through, just all sorts of craziness, but he took this fight on 13 days notice, goes from Massachusetts to Brazil, and it ends like that in 25 seconds. So Johnny's gonna join us to talk about what happened there, how he's doing and more. And I have to say, a refreshing take, refreshing, just way he's he's approaching this whole thing despite all the you know unfortunate circumstances surrounding it we're going to talk to jake hager bellator heavyweight aew wrestler you may know him from his previous wrestling name jack swagger from his wwe days he is back in the bellator cage tonight he's going to take on brandon colton at bellator 250 of course that card headlined by gaygard musasi versus douglas lima for the vacant middleweight title. More on that fight in a moment, but Jake Hager makes his fourth walk to the Bellator cage. He's coming out that no contest. The groin strikes, the accidental groin strikes around a year or so ago. We'll check in with Jake a little later on before he headlines the Bellator 250 prelims later on tonight. One of the shining stars of UFC 254, Miranda Maverick, will join us to recap her big win over Liana Jojua. Got a first round TKO, Dr. Stoppage win probably a premature stoppage even Miranda will attest to that but at just 23 years old I have to say what a head on her shoulders wise beyond her years she's very confident very impressed with her and you'll hear that chat in around 20 minutes or so but first if you missed the conversation earlier this week we're gonna play it again right now tonight he takes on Douglas Lima for the vacant Bellator middleweight title at Bellator 250 a super fight indeed Musasi versus the welterweight champ had the chance to catch up with one gay guard Musasi. Here is that conversation right now on What the Heck. All right, we're being joined by one half of the main event of Thursday's Bellator 250 event. He's going to take on Douglas Lima for the vacant Bellator middleweight title, one of the biggest fights, in my opinion, in the history of the company. Gay guard, good to have you here. How are you, sir? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm ready. Absolutely. So we're just days away from this fight going down. Yeah. It was booked for May before the pandemic struck. How excited are you that the days, the hours, the minutes, they're just ticking away here? Yeah, I'm excited. Um, just need to make weights, stay out of the way of COVID. And uh, I got tested. I was negative, so I'm uh, able to travel now. Um, so I'm ready. I just, you know, just uh, pass these days because you never know. It can you're not sure the fight is happening until you're in the cage. So I'm still a little bit uh, nervous about everything. You've obviously, you know, you've had a long, illustrious career. You've been in some big and important fights. Is this one, do you feel like this is the biggest fight of your career considering what's at stake, the buzz and fighting a guy like Douglas? No, for me, it's just another fight. Uh, I've not really thought of that it's a title fight or anything like that. I know the title is on the line, but... Um, I never thought about the title, to be honest. I just focused on, uh, on Douglas Lima. 
How have you been handling this crazy year with the pandemic, preparing for a fight, then it's off and now it's back on. And I mean, like you said, you've been in this game for a long time. You've experienced pretty much everything outside of a pandemic. How have you handled such a chaotic year? Mm, It was not so good uh, this year, to be honest. Uh, I had a little bit injuries uh, and then waiting and then uh, reschedule, reschedule, not knowing um, when, uh, when I would fight. So it's been over a year now, almost, uh, since I fought. So I'm just happy that I'm fighting again, you know. Um, not a good year. <laughs> but I think that's uh, for a lot of people. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, and then kind of just going back and, and looking at your resume, I think this is the longest layoff between fights that you've had since your strike force days. Uh, and you know, mm-hmm. it's been a rough year and, and while it slows momentum a little bit, there is a lot to be said about taking time to recharge the batteries and getting your mind right. So mentally and physically because of the time off, even though it kind of sucks, is this the best that you felt heading into a fight in a long time? No, no, actually not because, um, once I stopped, uh, when you completely don't do anything, when you're older, then you feel you're rusty. Then uh, the eggs come, you know. But when you're in shape, you don't feel those things. So uh, as I'm getting older, I have to stay in shape. And uh, it didn't help that, I'd, uh, that I was uh, off for such a long time. What about from like a mental perspective? Also not. You know, <laughs> no. I'm not getting any younger, you know. I'm uh, 35 now, so I'd rather stay busy and get as much as fights as I can. You're younger than I am. Yeah, but, uh, you know, 35 is not like, it's getting slowly downwards, you know? Uh, <laughs> maybe till 37, 38, you can, but certain fighters can go up to 40, 41, but I don't know if I'm that uh, kind of fighter, you know? Yeah. I mean, do, do you have like a, have you set a, a, like an age number for yourself or are you just going fight by fight? Oh, well. Uh, 37 and then I'm going to look, you know, at least after this year, uh, two more years for sure. And then uh, just look at how things, how things will go. How did you, I mean, we saw you lose that majority decision to Rafael Lovato Jr. And you subsequently lost the title. And of course it sucks to lose, but you know, how did you react to finding out that Rafael had to vacate the title because of the brain condition that he's going through? I mean, obviously it's a tough situation. I'm sure that's a rematch that you'd love to have, but man, just, you got to feel for the man. Uh, yeah, you know, I would have loved to fight him, but uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, I wish him well, you know. Uh, there was uh, a little bit uh, bad blood. Not bad blood, because I like the guy, actually. He's a nice guy. But uh, help first, uh, and, and if he doesn't get approved uh, by the doctors, you know, there's not much you can do. Uh, so I moved on, and um, I wish him well, you know. You've been in this heading into this fight, like in a very similar situation, taking on a current champion from the welterweight division. You dispatch of Roy McDonald very quickly in dominant fashion. Yeah. How does this fight compare to the one with Rory back in 2018? Well, you know, uh, it's a fight. You go in, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, I can go in and make it a short work, uh, have an easy night, or I can go there, have the toughest fight of my life, you know? But uh, you never know. But um, I'm confident. I'm very confident in my abilities. <laughs> also because of the, uh, Douglas Lima's style that, that I'm going to present a lot of troubles for him. Have you been impressed with what he's been able to do? I mean, he's been on a great run. Yeah. He's got the finishes of MVP in, in Koreshkov. He dominated Rory McDonald as well to, to win his title back. And, you know, there's a lot of people who believe that 
he might not just be the best welterweight in Bellator, but he might be the best welterweight in the world right now. Have you been well, impressed with what he's done? Definitely. He revenges both losses. Uh, he's been on a winning streak. Uh, he's confident. He's mature. He's experienced. Uh, he has the mentality. Uh, so, of course, he's a danger. I don't pass him. Uh, but I think he's facing me at the wrong time because I feel great. Better than ever. And I think it's going to show in the fight. So you do feel better than ever? Yeah, because I've changed a lot of things. So uh, I see the results in training. So um, that's why I know it's going to have a tough night. What kinds of things have you changed, if you don't mind me asking? Well, a lot of technique, uh, strength. Uh, I improved on every aspect that you can imagine. So you're, getting, you're stronger, a lot of strength and conditioning? Stronger, faster. Better conditions, everything. I, I could say I got even younger. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a you're a young, spry, thirty five year old. Yeah, I'm. I, I'm not gonna. But uh, well, I don't know how old is Douglas. But I'm. I'm not gonna be like feeling like thirty five. Well, there you go. That's yeah. that's always good. I feel. I feel yeah. So you know, I'm. I'm very confident. I feel good. The, the height and reach, you know, pr pretty similar, obviously frame wise, you know, when you guys faced off, yeah. I, I thought you were going to be much bigger, but you still have some size on them. You obviously have the experience mm -hmm. advantage of this fight outside of that. Like when you look at it from like a stylistic perspective, like the X's and O's of it all, where would you yeah. say your biggest advantages lie heading into Thursday night? Well, technically I'm better stand up. Uh, I have the reach. I have the, I feel like I have the speed. I'm going to be stronger. So that's his main weapon, you know, the stand-up. So uh, if I can put the, put him in trouble in that area, you know, the rest will be even. And then he has to worry about the takedown. That's going to make my stand-up even look better. So style-wise, I'm not a good matchup for him, you know. How do you feel about fighting in front of no fans? Like some fighters love it. Yeah. And some are a little no. uneasy about it. Do you mind? No, I, I think it's going to feel like a sparring. And... Uh, less pressure to be honest and I think I'm gonna feel even better it's gonna feel like I'm sparring a guy so maybe maybe it's gonna I'm you know I think I will do better to be honest without the crowd yeah I think a lot I think a lot of fighters feel that way it yeah. just kind of takes take some of the pressure off you know yeah yeah for sure we talked about you know how people look at Lima like he could be the best yeah welterweight in the world. I mean, if you go out there and you do what you expect to do on Thursday and you maybe if you put them away and have that belt wrapped around your waist at the end of the night, does this make you not just the top guy in the world at 85 for Bellator? Does this put you like no, in no, the world? No. Do you care about that? No, because uh, at the end of the day, I'm the bigger guy. I'm supposed to win. So I don't know how much credit I will get for the fight. If he, if he wins, yeah, he gains a lot. You know, he's double champ. And uh, so, um, but I don't see it like that. I see him as a big welterweight. You've seen a lot of welterweights doing very well in middleweight. So there's not a big size difference. I see him just being a tough opponent. But yeah. uh, it's not going to make me... It's not like I'm beating John Jones or anything that's going to make me suddenly the number one guy in the world, you know? So... But um, it's, it's good. It's good to have him uh, win over uh, Douglas Lima. He's uh, definitely one of the bigger names out there. But in your division, though, 
Would that put you well, in the He's coming up to 185. I don't think he's ranked there. So uh, um, it's just a super fight. So um, obviously, it's going to make me champion. And then uh, I have to go to the guys that uh, the number one contenders. That makes a lot of sense. Do, do you feel like he's coming in with like very little to lose and everything to gain and the pressure's on you? I have no pressure because I feel, I feel great. <laughs> so yeah, I feel like I'm going to go there. I'm going to do whatever I like. Not whatever I like, uh, but I'm so confident in this fight that uh, I, I'm not worried at all. You know, there's no pressure on me because uh, I'm not just Douglas. From now on, you will see the way I'm going to beat my opponents. So it's a, do you feel like a little more free now? Spinach. A little bit spinach goes a long way. <laughs> <laughs> that, that Popeye sauce. So do you feel like a yeah. little more free right now? You feel like, 100%. is it a good feeling? Yeah. We're going to do things differently now. We're going we're gonna to finish everyone. So I, I know you have your finger on the pulse in the sport. So I'm sure you watched Israel Adesanya's win over Paulo Costa. So yeah. I'm curious, like what stuck out to you more? Izzy's performance? Because I think... I think I've watched past interviews where you said that you kind of expected Israel to do what he did on that fight. So was it the performance that stuck out more or kind of the lack of sportsmanship he showed afterwards that stuck out? Yeah, you beat the guy already. I don't know, you know, with, um, I, uh, there's maybe bad blood between them, but at the end of the day, he's always shaking hands, being respectful. You already knocked the guy out. I mean, I don't think you would have liked if someone did that to him. Uh, but anyway, it's just sport, it's, you know. He beat him, yeah, but um, yeah, different characters. I don't know. I wouldn't have done that, but uh, you know, I'm not him. You know, where do you kind of stand on that argument? Because like, there's some fans that are just like, listen, if you talk all that trash and you get beat like that, like you just kind of have to take it. What's coming? And then there's the sports martial arts side of it. You know, what side are you more on? Do you understand both sides? Well, you know, uh, there's promotional stuff. You know. A lot of guys say stuff. I don't take it seriously anymore. When I was younger, I would, it would, I would take it personally. But now, that, now when I hear someone say, uh, "I'm gonna beat Musashi or this and that," is the, I know that's you know, or he's confident. You know, you, if you want to say you can, I'm, someone's gonna knock someone out. Yeah, sure. But a lot of it is promotion. So at the end of the day, like Conor McGregor, there's a lot of things is show. But uh, you can take it too far. I don't know if. Uh, Castro Filippo Castro, uh, what was his name? Paulo Paulo Castro. Paulo Castro. If he took it that far, you know what I mean? It wasn't like Khabib versus McGregor. Uh, McGregor went too far with that fight, you know? Uh, so I don't know. You know, it's just uh, promotion. Is, uh, at the end of the day, it's just a fight, you know? It's funny because if I ask like hardcore fans, like dream matchups that they want to see, oh. most of them will list that you versus Adesanya is like right at the top of that list. Like that's one of those fights that everybody would love to see. And I yeah. doubt it happens anytime soon because you're in two different organizations, but man, that would be a lot of fun if somehow, some way that fight could happen. Is that one that like is on your wish list? Like if you could do it, you'd like to do it. No, I don't think, even think about it because it's, it's not going to happen. You know, I think Bellator would do a co-promotion, but I don't think UFC would ever do that. So it's like dreaming of, uh, yeah, of thinking about a fight that's never going to happen. It's like me fighting um, the heavyweight guy, you know. It's, it's not realistic. So I don't even think about it. So if you win if you win this, recapture this yeah. title, are you planning on just kind of sticking around at 85, running off 
contenders or are you planning on maybe jumping up to 205 and maybe you could be the champ champ yourself? Yeah, yeah. First Douglas Lima and then um, John Salter. And then if they come up with the light heavyweight fight, I'll take it. What have you but made of It's John a one-time deal. If I go to a light heavyweight, it's just fight for the belt and then I go back again. I'm not a light heavyweight, but uh, can I beat a light heavyweight? 100%. So let's talk about what's in front of us. We, I mean, this main event is yeah. just so good for the middleweight title between yourself and Douglas Lima. What, what's your gut telling you? I mean, you got that spinach power right now. Do we have uh, an official Gegard Musasi prediction here? You know, uh, tremendous respect for uh, Douglas Lima. But I'm not trying to be cocky, but I, I should be able to finish him two rounds. And then on to John Salter, who's looked pretty John damn Salter good, they say. Yeah, yeah. But I think... Uh, after my performance, people, uh, I don't think John Salter will like to fight. But he's next, so we'll give it to him. Speaking of uh, John Salter, former opponent of his, uh, Costello Vanstinis, your boy, just got a nice yeah. win over Fabian Edwards, a guy who heading into that fight said that he wanted to beat Fabian and he wanted to beat Costello and then move on to retire you afterwards. You must have enjoyed watching that fight for a number of reasons last month, right? Well, yeah, yeah, 100%. He won. Uh, we were very happy. Uh, yeah, like that guy, Fabian, saying those stuff. It doesn't bother me at all, you know. He just tried to build himself up, trying to make a name for himself. So, whatever, you know. Uh, I wish him well. He's <laughs> <laughs> a loser, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he had his fight. You're up next, man. This is one of my yeah. favorite fights of 2020 in all of MMA on Paper Gig. I appreciate you jumping yeah, on. No it's problem. been a couple of years since you've done this and uh, give me some time. Thanks. Safe travels and enjoy New Thanks. England in October, man. It's beautiful right Thanks. now. Thank you, sir. Uh, it, I think it's Connecticut I'm fighting. Yeah, New, right? Yeah, that that's part mean, of New England, yeah. Oh, yeah, I didn't know. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> man. The, different area. The leaves are different colors. It's like 70 yeah. degrees already now. It's beautiful. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more 
and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Always enjoy chatting with Gegar Mousasi. I, I just love that fight with Douglas Lima. This is a true Bellator super fight. Best main event of the year, easily, for Bellator coming up tonight. And in my opinion, we talked about this in Between the Links, not this past week, but the show before. This is perfect timing. Bellator has done a lot of things right. And a lot of things, they're just not getting any momentum. And it's not really, I mean, it's, I don't know if it's their fault or not, because they've made a lot of good moves, but they need a fight like this to happen right now. And it's going to happen tonight. So they need a boost. And I just can't wait to see how this all plays out tonight on the CBS Sports Network. So let's move ahead from someone I've spoken to many times over the years, like Gegard, like Gegard Mousasi, excuse me, to someone that I spoke with for the very first time. Miranda Maverick made her highly anticipated UFC debut on Saturday at UFC 254, and she delivered. She picked up a TKO win over Liana Jojua. Let's check in with Fear the Maverick right now. All right, we got Miranda Maverick on the program. She made her UFC debut on Saturday at UFC 254. Got a first-round TKO win over Liana Jojua after the fight was stopped before the second round began. Great win for Miranda. Fear the Maverick. Great to have you here, Miranda. How are you? I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. So the debut is in the books. You got to do it on Fight Island during a very unique time in our world. What did you make of the experience in Abu Dhabi, and how does the win feel a few days later? Uh, the wind feels great. I've been traveling up until late last night, so it was a long drive and plane flight back home, but uh, I'm here kind of getting to soak everything in. Still haven't quite gotten my check yet, but I'm sure the reality will hit at that point. Um, you know, it was exciting to make my debut and have it happen the way that it did. Um, I kind of wish I would have got to keep fighting to show more of my skills, but a win's a win. There you go. As you uh, as you stated in your post-fight scrum, you have a million things going on. You're going for your PhD. I talked to John Anik on the show last week. He said that you sort of blew him away during the fighter meetings because you're doing some teaching, you're doing some assistant work, you've been teaching Zoom classes, like you're getting ready for a fight at the same time. So what was sort of like the day-to-day like for you on the island? Did you get to focus on the fight like per se, or did you still have to work on those very other important things in your life as, as the fight week was progressing? I still had to work on everything else while my fight was getting ready. Um, even the day of weight cutting Thursday night, I literally had a three and a half hour zoom meeting from nine thirty PM to midnight. And so it was, you know, constant, even when I was miserable and cutting weight. Um, but that's part of it. You know, I signed up for it. It's my decision in life to have went after all those things. So it's not something I can be whining about. Was it almost like a like a good thing at the same time? Because, you know, you didn't have to focus and kind of overwhelm yourself with the fight. You could sort of distract yourself with, with some of those other things. Uh, not really. I wish I could just focus on just the fight. It's pretty um, miserable to have everything else to keep track of, too. It just raises the stress level even more, um, makes it to where, you know, I don't want to be too tired for the fight to where I have no brain power left in the day to work on homework or teaching or whatever else. And it just provided a lot of things for me to keep up with. In addition to the whole UFC schedule that was going on out there and the time change was rough with everything. Cause I was having classes into the, you know, early morning hours. So, um, it made it 
pretty rough, but I tried to get everything ahead of time a little bit to where at least like the day of the fight, I didn't have anything to do. And the day um, of weigh-ins, I didn't really have anything to do. So that was nice. I know you were supposed to debut in June, but you were scratched from that fight. You were supposed to fight Mara Romero Barella, and I'm sure that sucked for you, but at the same time, you get to debut on one of the biggest cards of the year. You're one of the standouts of the event. So I would say, and I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems like things worked out pretty well for you, did they not? Yeah, definitely. You know, And I believe things happen for a reason, and I couldn't have asked for much of a better debut, whether uh, how it went or the event that I got to be on. So I'm not whining. I'm glad that things got fixed um, that were wrong in June, and I got to go in there and show my stuff. The main event was obviously a big talking point, but nobody really knew that we were watching Habib Nurmagomedov fight for the last time in his illustrious career. He ends his career 29-0, undefeated, undisputed champion. What is that like, you know, in the aftermath, being able to share your card, you know, share a card with your first fight with his last fight? Um, memorable. That's the, that's the word for it. You know, it's exciting. Everybody's going to remember that card, rewatch that card several times, um, helped me with my exposure. And, you know, it's, um, an honor to be on a card with so many great fighters. Like it was just a phenomenal card from beginning to end, in my opinion. And I was, um, lucky that I got to watch some of the fights, unfortunately not live, but we got to go back to our hotel room and, um, the hotel had them, had it to where we could watch them. Well, there you go. So what did you think of Habib's performance and then kind of finding out everything that happened in the aftermath, the the, bro- the, the injuries, he had mumps heading into the fight, like all that in play to, to beat a guy that many believed was his toughest test. What did you think of that? He's one of the greatest, you know, everybody kind of already knew it. I didn't really think he was going to win quite so dominantly, but it just speaks to how good he really is. It was amazing. So let's talk about your fight. Jojua comes out. Mm-hmm. She landed some shots early. One thing that I noticed, and I know the, the broadcaster as well, she was moving around really well. She definitely made some improvements in that aspect, but you stayed very patient. And as the fight progressed, your confidence just continued to soar. When you got into the octagon, you make the walk and all that, was it a little nerve wracking for you? Or did you, did you need like a couple of punches before you got comfortable? Or you were just right in the moment, right from the jump? Uh, I would say it took me a minute to get used to. You can kind of see me adjust uh, throughout the fight. And it took probably 30 to 45 seconds for me to be like, okay, this is, this is where I'm at. Get your head together and go. Uh, And then from then on, I think I showed a pretty dominant display. Um, But the first few strikes that she landed and stuff were kind of like a wake up call, getting in there, getting any nerves that were there out. I tried to go in there without any nerves at all, without anxiety, like put my faith where it needs to be and know that I don't need to be anxious. Whatever is going to be in there is going to happen. Um, but it still gets to you no matter how experienced you are, like changing levels and going to the UFC from Invicta and everything. It was just a new experience. It's exciting hearing uh, Bruce Buffer call out my name for the first time and hearing like literally you can hear everything the commentators are saying cage side, which I think could be really negative for some fighters. Like I don't care. I block it out and pay attention to only my coaches, but had I wanted to, I could have literally heard everywhere that was being said, you know, I could hear it as I was walking into the cage. So just getting those nerves out and everything, I think took me a few seconds. And then once that was gone, I was, I was ready to go. I felt my own rhythm and, um, started doing my game plan. Do you remember the last time you felt that way? Like getting into a cage, was it your first Invicta fight or did it happen like earlier? Or is this a typical thing for you? 
Um, I don't usually really have any nervousness. And even this time, the nerves weren't super bad or anything. I was very focused. Like, uh, that's where I belong. You know what I mean? That's where I've envisioned myself being. But I felt that way my first Invicta fight. I actually felt that way my second Invicta fight. And then um, probably at the tournament, like just different new things that happen. And it kind of depends on opponent, depends on promotion, just a lot of different things. And even how I feel going into the fights. Um, just every once in a while, you get those those nerves that happen. Um, my second pro fight was probably one of the worst just because the girl I was going against had all this hype behind her and was supposed to, I knew I was supposed to just go in there and get my butt kicked. And luckily I didn't, you know, I'm one in the first round, but that was probably the last time I felt that nervous. So you're landing at will, you, you turn the corner, you got very comfortable. You started to overwhelm her a little bit. And then the step in elbow, which I've watched probably 50 times by now, that was the beginning of the end. And you don't see those elbows find success that often at this level, but you did it in your first UFC fight. And that thing was ferocious and it was nasty. How many times have you gone back and watched it? Uh, several times, you know, and it's really exciting. My coach keeps trying to go back in training videos and finding where we've trained it because it was a very specific thing that we practiced leading up to the fight. And it was funny because I was like, oh, I'm going to fake level changes and then boom, walk in because she puts her head down a lot when she throws punches. Um, anytime she landed was her with her head down. It was she doesn't have very good striking at all. And people assume that I don't, but I have a lot better than I had ever shown previously. I just didn't need to. I would take it down and finish it. And I decided to just show off a little bit this time, I guess, and uh, tried that elbow two times previous to actually landing it clean. And every time it was connecting with her face, I just wasn't getting the slice that I wanted and um, finally was able to aim and get it right on the button and it worked perfect. As you said, I mean, you weren't overly thrilled with how the fight ended because you had a lot of bullets left in the chamber. But all things considered, you fly across the world, you get a finish in your UFC debut, you get a highlight of the night that people keep watching. So all in all, it's a pretty good night for you. How would you grade your performance overall? Uh, they graded my performance as a B. I would have given myself an A minus. I could have done better the first 30 seconds. But um, aside from that, I did my game plan perfectly. Had I got to keep going, I would have shown even more, hopefully some cage work and groundwork and everything else. But um, I went in there and did my job. So I couldn't have asked for a better debut. A first round finish and they gave you a B? <laughs> what? Yeah, they were like, well, I think it was Philip. Uh, um, Haas's fault they gave him an A plus how can you do better than that you know you go in there punch somebody once knock him out I'm like well okay <laughs> <laughs> all right I'll take it I mean he's still good but I mean you're a student I know like my wife was a student she's like if, if I can get an A I'm going to get an A yeah time. it was the joke all over the internet with friends of mine because I never like I was always the straight A student and they were like what that's the first B Miranda's ever gotten in her life <laughs> So now you're you're back home. The travel is behind you. What is life like now? You're, are you trying to catch up on sleep, or is that not even possible with everything you have going on? Uh, it's not even possible, honestly. Like with the flight, and I was able to kind of go to sleep on the sleep schedule here last night because I was just so tired. Um, but I have class literally right after we get off of this Zoom call, so it's kind of right. I don't get a break. It's right back to schoolwork. Um, I'll go to training tonight, work as hard as I ever have. Like I'm not much for taking breaks. I don't believe in off season within this sport. I'm ready to go at all times. Um, and I've got to act that way. Being a professional fighter isn't a part-time job. You know, it's one of those things where you go in there and put your life on the line. People who just train sometimes, or when they have a fight coming up, they take it seriously are never going to get to the top. So do your like 
because I know you, you do some teaching assisting as well. Do like your, your professors, do your, your fellow classmates, they all know that, that you're fighting in the UFC? Um, I think most do. And luckily, like my school did like the story on me earlier this, uh, I guess it was the summer over the COVID time. They did like a story about me. So a lot of the students and stuff know about me. I actually got like five emails from school from different professors that I don't even know and things that were just like, congratulations, glad you make it back safe. And then a lot of my students know, like last year, they actually did like a student party when I fought um, some of my students. Um, this time it's online, so it's a little bit more detached than what in-person classes provide for me to have a relationship with my students. But I think a lot of them are still pretty aware and it's really exciting. That's pretty cool. So you, you mentioned during your scrum that you're doing all of these things to set you up for life outside of fighting when that time comes. And you're obviously very young in life and in the sport. Have you kind of like laid out a professional career plan for yourself? Like you're going to fight until this time, then you're going to move on to this, do this, do that. Like, have you planned that all out? Or are you sort of taking things a fight at a time, a day at a time? Like, how does that work for you? So kind of freakishly planned out in my life, like um, everything, whether it be current or future, um, very good at like planning out what I want with my life, what I want with my career. Um, and it's funny, like people took offense to me saying like, unlike a lot of fighters, I have a backdrop and I wasn't meaning that to be insulting necessarily, but I want an education. I want to have other career paths. If my knee gets messed up in a fight, I don't have to struggle along for the rest of my life trying to make a living in something else. Um, I want to have a good future um, financially. Um, but back onto your topic, uh, I want to be done fighting in my early 30s. I don't want to be like, I'm top 50, yay, when I'm 35 years old, like a, like a few people I know do, you know, and they're really excited to even be recognized at that age. And for me, like I'm 23. I want to be in the top 10 by the time I'm 24, at least like I'm ready to get to the top, make my mark, make my money and move on with my life. I don't want to get brain damage. I don't want to have just that thing going for me when I'm ready to have a family and have kids and things and then have to go right back to fighting to make a living. Um, so I want to be done by the time I'm in my early thirties and move on to other things. Hopefully it's in association with the sport too, whether it be commentating or consulting for sports organizations or things like that in tie with my education, that would be the dream, you know? So you still, okay. So you still have like seven, eight, nine, maybe a decade left. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not like done in the next few years or anything. I want to make it like a pretty long career goal. Like after I'm done getting my PhD, I'm not going to, hopefully not going to jump right into a job and be doing my MMA. I want to focus on MMA for a few years, make it to that, you know, the top of the food chain. And then we'll see what happens from there. You certainly uh, have lofty aspirations, Miranda. You said that, you know, you're, you're in no real rush at the moment, but you already have goals. You have your sights set on Valentina. You have your, your sights set on becoming a champion, you know, and Valentina's looked unbeatable as of late, but mm -hmm. you see yourself at some point being the one to, to pull it off and, and get a win over her. Why do you feel like you could be the one to, to do what very few have done before? Um, you know, I don't think it's going to be the next fight, but hopefully in a few fights in the next couple of years, it's funny. People were like picking on me. They're like, Oh, another person calling out Valentina. I'm like, ah, I didn't really call her out. I'm saying that's where I want to be at some point. Um, but I think that I have this grappling background that 
is stronger than almost every other girl in the division um, where I can go in there and wrestle them and use my jujitsu and get finishes. Uh, they didn't talk about that a lot in this fight, which I found amusing just because Jujua had this grappling background and they were talking about how many finishes she had by arm bar. And I was like, nobody's talking about the five finishes I have with arm bar and Renee choke and everything else, you know, um, but that aside, um, <laughs> I don't, I feel like nobody's pushed Valentina in her grappling at all. Like people always wait until they're dead tired to try to take her down. They're like, Oh, it's round two. Maybe I should try to take her to the ground because I just got beat up for a whole round. Like, why not take her down in the first round or at least test her skills there? Like nobody even seems to want to go to the ground with her. It's like this whole competition of, well, she's a good striker. So I want to show I am too. Um, that's not the fighting world. Like you need to go in there and win a fight. It doesn't matter. Like I'm not trying to do stand up because I'm trying to be like, well, I'm better than you. So I'm going to do my stand up. Like I just go in there and show my potential and do what I need to do to win fights. So you have right now, there's like a happy balance between mystery versus history, which is good. I mean, eventually that, yeah. that aura is going to wear off, but you might have like another fight where people kind of overlook your grappling. Yeah, it could be, you know, and that always happens. Um, this was one of the only fights I wasn't an underdog in, and it still depended on who you talked to, you know. Um, I think in the betting odds, I was the favorite, but I was the underdog as far as talent and stuff a lot of times when people would talk about it. Um, and, yeah, it just it's interesting to me. Like, a lot of times when I fight anybody with submission of any sort or a grappling game, they just kind of dismiss my own, which is interesting but I, I guess at one point you know it'll change the other way yeah, enjoy it while you can yeah right but what's interesting now is there's, there's a lot of interest in this division for the first time in a while we got lauren murphy who just mm -hmm. got a win and a finish on the main card jessica andrage just beat the number one contender cynthia calvillo had a win over the previous number one contender mm -hmm. and they're all sort of vying for this next shot against the winner of shevchenko and jennifer maya so 125, the women's division, it's getting a lot of buzz right now. So I think your timing to enter this this fray here, it's kind of perfect, isn't it? I think it's perfect. I think it's perfect for getting me something in the near future. I'm hoping I have a fight um, around early December coming up. Um, I asked for one within the next month. I had to. I just got done being asked by my management when I could fight and worked out my schedule to look at where school aligned with free time for fighting and Hopefully we get it lined up in the next few weeks. Anybody stick out to you now that you've had some time to process the trip and the fight and, and the whole adventure to fight Island? You know, I've been talking to my dad and some other people, my coaches and thinking about like who to call out per se, but it's not exactly my style to do that. Usually um, I just want to climb my way up the ladder, whoever they put in front of me next. I want it to be obviously a higher ranked opponent and go in there and show my stuff again. Um, I'd love it if they put me against a striker. That would be almost amusing. Um, but I, I'm ready for anybody. I'm ready for anybody to throw at me. I'm ready to move up to the top and show once again what I can do. Yeah, we, we do a matchmaking show for MMA fighting. It's called On to the Next One. And <laughs> I, I think we mentioned this on the post-fight show too. I think you versus like Justine Kish makes all the sense in the world because she's a striker and yeah. you know, she's a veteran in the UFC. She's had a lot of fights. She just lost to Samita, Sabina Mazo. But still, I think considering the next step for your career to get to where you want to be, I think Justine's a pretty good step for you and a good test for you. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, there's a lot that people have kind of put out there as people for me to fight against. Um, and I think all of them have been pretty interesting ideas. Um, it's funny to me though, like once somebody wins via striking, everybody wants that person to go against a striker. 
And for me, like, that would be so nice because strikers for me, I just take down and finish them every fight. Um, and it's funny to me. I'm like, why would I, why would I do that? You know, why would I stand up and strike with them? And they're like, well, to prove a point that your striking is good. And when people do that, it's just silly to me. I'm like, I'm, I'm in there to make money and win fights and move on up the chain. I'm going to do whatever is advantageous for me, not what shows off against what people think about me, you know? Where does this, I mean, you're, you're 23 years of age. You're, you're very confident. You're very well-spoken. Where does this confidence come from? Um, I a hundred percent believe that I grew up different than any other female out there, like made for this sport almost. That's what it seems like. Um, I grew up picking up hay bales. I grew up picking up rocks in the field as punishment. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't grounded. I didn't live in the city where all I had to do was play video games and stuff. I grew up working like a grown man on a farm from the age of like five years old on doing work that most people would be like, holy crap, I'm not doing that, you know, and I'm so appreciative of it. I'm so appreciative that I grew up that way and made this like actual core strength, like people brag about my strength and stuff. It's not just genetics. It's not just me working out now or working hard in the gym. It came from how I grew up. It came from everything that I was put through as a child, lifting things like my dad wouldn't let us give up when we wanted to. It was push that extra 10 seconds and do what you could do. And that's what separates normal people and champions in the gym and everything else. And the fact that I just grew up that way gives me that edge on other opponents. Um, that and creating this mindset where I've gone to school and done this all at the same time and had other things on my plate through life. And I don't think other people do that either. They focus on one thing or they have very living in the present dreams instead of fighting for something. Like a lot of people fight to be champion. Um, for me, being a champion is just a means to the end. Like that isn't my end goal. My end goal is to live a life outside of that with, with a family, to have property, to have investment, to have a happy family and everything. Not to be champion. To be champion is to make those other dreams come true. You know, um, so means to ends versus just having an end. Like my goals are never the end for me. And I think that's where the mentality separates itself too. I cannot believe I'm 14 years older than you listening to you talk like this. This is unbelievable. Um, last thing I want to ask you about, because I know you got things going on. Um, you know, you said you career aspirations outside of the sport may be involved in the sport, maybe maybe mm -hmm. as, a, as an analyst. So let me ask you this. Your last Invicta opponent, Pearl Gonzalez, is going to fight Aaron Blanchfield for the vacant flyweight title on November 20th. And I know you haven't fought Aaron before, but you have to assume that if she beats Pearl, her UFC call is, is coming pretty quick. So how do you see that fight playing out? Um, so my opinion on it varies two different ways. To make me look good, I hope Aaron loses. You know what I mean? I hope that Pearl keeps on winning and it makes me look even better. However, I think Aaron will win. I want Aaron to win. I think that she's a good person. I think she's a good fighter and she's another young person coming up in a division that needs more people again. And you say, I haven't fought her. I actually had a fight lined up against her for the contender series. And that got called off due to some Invicta. Um, the people in charge of Invicta didn't really want their two top girls going against each other outside of the organization. Um, you know, it kind of makes a promotion look bad when they're going into the contender series versus just getting into the UFC, uh, which luckily I got the call up for. Um, but I think Aaron Blanchfield's grappling will 
prove to be stronger than Pearl's. And I also think that her striking is really coming along too. So I think she's going to win. There's a little bit of saltiness for my end that I beat somebody and they're getting to jump right into a title shot. Um, but it is what it is, you know. Vanessa got moved up. I got moved up. Deanna Bennett got moved up. A lot of the girls from Invicta are moving on to bigger, better things, and I'm proud of them. But uh, my guess is Aaron Blanchfield. Were, were you and Aaron supposed to fight, like, this season or last season? Oh, uh, I guess it was last season in June, around June. Oh, okay. That would have been that would have got a lot of buzz, but I, yeah. I I guess I understand where they're coming yeah. from. But mm-hmm. yeah, I was happy to get my other call ups. It was kind of my last option. I really didn't want to do the contender series at all. I thought I was beyond that, um, and I am beyond that. Um, so I was kind of irritated that that was the call up I was getting. So it ended up working out differently, and I'm excited for what happened. Seriously, so impressive. Just such confidence. Very mature for being just 23 years of age. Excited to see where Miranda Maverick goes from here and congratulations to her following her octagon debut win at ufc 254 what a card to, to debut on and get a finish on we head back to the bellator cage right now and in a way we head back to the squared circle jake hager returns to mma competition later on today the featured prelim of bellator 250 is going to take on brandon colton let us say hello to the bellator heavyweight and aew wrestler jake hager all right, we are being joined by Jake Hager. He returns to the Bellator cage tomorrow night as we record. Bellator 250 is going to face fellow unbeaten fighter Brandon Colton. Very busy man these days. We're happy to be joined by Mr. Hager right now. Jake, how are you, man? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me. Uh, excited to be on Bellator 250. Uh, it's going to be a, a great card from top to bottom, especially those heavyweight bouts. Absolutely. All weighed in in a slim trim, 253.2. And uh, now it's just time to rest, focus, and get ready for the fight. And it's interesting because you've been, this is only your fourth MMA fight. You've been competing most of your life. You've been in the pro wrestling world for a long time now as well. What are these like next 24 hours or so going to be like for you getting ready for an MMA fight? Are there nerves? Is it very relaxed? Like, how would you describe it? I try to really stay calm before the storm. Um, I think it just helps me. Uh, you could waste a lot of energy. Your nervous system could waste a lot of energy with anxiety. Um, your whole camp, you plan on peaking at the right moment. And so this is just another part of that. You want to, you know, rest and really peak tomorrow. For me, I, I'm a creature of habit. So I like to do everything I did the day before the last fight. And so I, I try to recreate certain things as much as possible. If I watch the movie with my team that night, uh, we're going to we're gonna do the same thing uh, tonight. Um, so it's uh, pretty boring, actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some fighters look at, look at things differently. So I, f- I figured you'd probably have a more relaxed approach since, you know, your career, your competitive nature. I mean, you've been in these spots many times before. Maybe not with, like, getting punched in the face that often, but from, from wrestling and all that stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's one of my biggest assets in MMA. I may not have the cage experience. I may not have the amateur record. Um, but I have over a thousand amateur wrestling matches. I have, uh, over 10 years of live experience on TV. And that really helps me, um, know when to start warming up and when to perform at a high level. I watched the, uh, the live stream of the weigh-ins or the ceremonial weigh-ins on the Bellator Instagram page. And 
you guys are squaring off and I could see your face in, in the back of your opponent's head during the face off. It looks like you were saying something to Brandon. And cause I saw the mask moving a little bit right around the, where your mouth would, we would be able to see that. Did you say anything to him? Well, he's, he, uh, he said something to me and it was actually quite funny. I, I had an all white, uh, Chuck Taylor's and he walked up and, and his meanest voice, he said, I like your shoes. <laughs> And so, and, and in my meanest voice, I said, my wife dresses me. <laughs> that is hilarious, man. Is that, it's is so, that, <laughs> that's so funny. That's, that's really what happened. That's hilarious. It's, yeah. um, so you, so you mentioned your, your last fight, you like to try to mimic things that you did to, to stay comfortable. This is going to be your first fight in over a year. The last one didn't really go as planned because it was stopped in a little under two minutes and it was deemed a no contest after a pair of unintentional groin strikes. How excited are you just get back in there and try to get that bad taste out of your mouth and, and show the evolution of your game? Yeah, I'm excited to get back in there. I don't have any regrets or a bad taste in my mouth from the last fight. I, I went in there and did exactly what I wanted to do. I was dominating. Um, definitely learned uh, from uh, the mistake. Uh, I think it was only one growing strike, but we won't be picky. Uh, it's uh, it's one of those things where you either love it or you don't. And, you know, training camp always sucks. It's always hard, but that's where you win the fight. And so I really look forward to tomorrow night. You will see a big smile on my face because I'm, I've been working really hard and uh, we're ready to show the world even more how far we come and how dangerous I can be. I was telling you off air the last time we spoke, you were a, a free agent in the wrestling business. You were on the independence. I interviewed you for a local radio station in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, uh, before a Northeast wrestling show at the ballpark here. Since then, I mean, you're, you're all you're now with AEW, you're on television Wednesday nights on TNT. You're in the mix of like a Wednesday night wrestling rivalry of sorts with NXT. This has to be cool for you because one, you get to be part of something different and fresh in the wrestling business, but also you get some of the nostalgia of the old Monday night wars since you missed out on that by a few years. Have you, how have you enjoyed this, this next chapter of your career? It's been incredible. I feel very lucky to work for two incredible companies such as Bellator and AEW. I consider this uh, last year of my wrestling career the best of my career. Uh, it's definitely been the most enjoyable, most rewarding. Um, being able to work with Chris Jericho, uh, he's always been the greatest, but really when everyone's accepting him uh, as the greatest right now, it's really awesome to work with him. And the refreshing thing is astronomical. I think you see it in all the performances at AEW. Tony treats us like athletes and uh, we, we appreciate that. And it's just so cool to, you know, your, your success always determined is determined upon your hard work. And then at AEW, I think Chris really said it best is like, you want to be successful? I was like, well, how creative can you be? And instead of like, blocking you or like shooting down millions of ideas that probably could work um they're really good at aew is really good at giving you the resources uh you need to succeed and uh like give the fans what they want which is something new something fresh um i got into pro wrestling um really heavily during the original monday night wars i was in seventh eighth grade uh nwo wolfpack all the way um and so to be a part of this new whatever competition they're calling it, it is really cool. Um, competition makes everyone better. And the fans end up being uh, the real winners because they have 
great choices everywhere. Um, I feel so blessed again to be a part of the pro wrestling industry now and Bellator and MMA because both industries are peaking right now. MMA is so popular. Pro wrestling is even more popular than the 1980s, uh, I would argue. And so it, it's really cool and, and an honor because I, I love both of it. And to do this for a job and a living, I feel very blessed. There's a thousands of Americans, millions of Americans who really have to struggle and uh, going through a tough time right now. And so hopefully um, the real form of entertainment that I provide uh, does help. Obviously, that has kept you very busy during, like you said, a, a very tumultuous year, COVID-19, the pandemic. Plus, you know, it's nice that the events take place in your home state of Florida. So that has to be nice, too. But, you know, things have obviously opened up a little bit more now and some places are closing a little bit. But was it a bit of a struggle early on to, you know, in the MMA side of it, to get with your team, get with your coaches to to get training in? The hardest part for us was finding training partners. Um, I'm a heavyweight. And so finding big guys to roll with. Um, is always a, a, a task. Uh, we had the facilities. Uh, we had multiple facilities that we could use. So it was really just training partners. And I feel so lucky again that I had all my guys come in and like, you know, we had our ups and downs where we had to can do cancels and, uh, you know, a lot of solo practices. But um, they really stuck by me and really gave me their time and gave me their hard work when they could. And uh, I'm very fortunate for them. You were supposed to fight in May, right, before that event was scrapped? Yep. I was on the, the May 9th card uh, uh, originally, and uh, it was one of the first ones to get car, uh, canceled. So since then, uh, it kind of worked out. We had the stadium stampede in between, so I was able to go right into that and uh, keep going with AEW. But the, all the time, we've we've been seriously somewhat in camp since then. Were you able to get like a, I mean, you're always training and working, but were you able to get like a decent sized training camp in for this one? Because we know how Bellator can be. Penn goes to paper. We don't hear about it for at least two or three weeks. How long of a notice did you have for this one? Uh, I think I had about six to seven weeks. Uh, I've, I've known probably since um, August that uh, October was going to be the date. Um, it did get a little late before we actually did finalize it, like you said, but um, I had a ballpark idea that sometime in October was. So we started preparing early uh, like we do. I'm an old guy, so I got to start early. Did you know much about Brandon when you first got I mean, he just turned pro this year. 5-0 and AMI runs. Got two quick finishes this year. I believe all of his finishes are via strikes. Have you been able to check him out at all, or do you let Josh Rafferty and your coaches kind of do that scouting for you? No, I think in this day and age, you know, video is so easily to come by. You know, of course, we check him out. Um, he's a big big uh super heavyweight he's gonna be all of 265 i didn't see what he weighed in today yet uh but i thought he looked great he looked uh more in shape than um than he did in the last fight that i i saw um he said multiple interviews that the conditioning conditioning is not gonna be a problem so i'm taking this as it's gonna be a hard fight he's a big country boy i think he has uh seven amateur fights that he so he's on a nine fight win streak um Big, proud country boy. He's going to give me everything he has, and uh, it's going to be a fight. Um, I look forward to it. used to play in the NFL, too. He's on the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know that? I did not. I did not. See? He's uh, going to be a good athlete in there and really be moving around. Uh, I'm going to have to 
focused on my training, get my jabs going. Uh, can't stand in front of him because he's going to be throwing those hammers at me. Uh, footwork is going to be key. From a competitive perspective, and, and I mean, surely from a fan's perspective, this card is is massive. The main event, the super fight between Gegard Mousasi and Douglas Lima for the middleweight title. I mean, you've been a part of some big ones along the way. You're part of the Fedor versus Bader card, Pitbull versus Chandler. Lima knocked out MVP on that card. Where does this main event compare to the others? Because this is a damn good fight. Man, I'm so excited to, uh, to see Phenom go in there. I, I love Mustasi, but um, ever since my second fight, uh, I've had a connection with Douglas. I feel like we're almost on the same team uh, with each other. And so it's really cool to see his success and, and see like his worldwide acceptance of how good he really is. Uh, it's going to be... An, a monster fight. I can already hear the leg kicks booming. Um, uh, I've seen him all week. I haven't really talked to him. He looked. He looks focused. He looks. He looks so huge for for 170. So it, it's awesome. Before that happens, you are in the featured prelim. You got your own fight with Brandon Colton. Do we have a uh, official Jake Hager prediction here? Well, every time I go and fight MMA, I have to promise Tony Khan that I'm going to win. Like verbally, I have to tell him. So I'm going to win. That's my prediction. Fair enough. Uh, before we let you go, there is something I did want to ask you about from the wrestling world. Because like, AEW is, is definitely doing things much differently than WWE and NXT. And we saw it on not this past, not well, they're gone on tonight, but last week's show, we saw Chris Jericho and MJF. They broke into song. And by the way, MJF's got some chops for sure. But uh, there's always this like sort of battle between like today's wrestling fan. And then there's like the traditionalists out there, like, like a Jim Cornette that sort of like poo poo what AEW is trying to do. How do you sort of handle it? Like, I'm sure at the end of the day, you don't really care, but how do you react when some of like the, the old school pundits of the sport just aren't picking up what you guys are putting down? Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't care. Um, I don't know who elected Jim Cornette uh, official of anything. <laughs> uh, you know, it, I'm, I'm glad that we have such a strong following and that people are so passionate about our business. And in the end, this is art and art is always left up to interpretation. So that's what it's there for. Um, if you don't like it, that's fine. If you do like it, that's fine. Um, the main thing is we, we like it. We're proud of it. And I am so proud of the work that AEW put out through the pandemic because I feel like having that unknown with the audience really kind of kept them on their toes and it made storylines a little bit more believable, a little more suspenseful. And it allowed us to do th different things like lay dinner debonair. It allows us to do the stadium stampede. And it's really cool because pro wrestling it's a world of possibilities. How creative do you want to be? And so like, why be limited into this little box when you can do so much more? Um, if you have disbelief suspended, then go for it because in the end, it's all entertainment. It's all show business. And Jim Cornette is not tough. Do you see yourself maybe getting in on something like that? Like a little outside of the comfort zone, a little outside of the box, like maybe not singing and dancing, but I mean, I bet you do have some chops yourself, Jake, that uh, we haven't seen yet. 
Well, MJF, he's a little known fact, but MJF, he was a child prodigy. He was one of those like young kids that went on Ellen, sing, dancing and performing. Uh, and so he's very talented. Uh, I 100% would be honored to be a part of anything like that. I think it's groundbreaking. And I think it will you will see a sing and dance almost every month in wrestling storylines now, too, because, well, maybe not every month because not everyone can pull it off. But it is something that is going to be copied uh, because everybody gets tired of two people just standing in front of each other, tough talking each other. Like we've seen it, we've done it. Let's uh, let's see if there's something else there. And who better to do that than Chris Jericho, the one top guy that has changed professional wrestling. 30 years, man. That is just so wild to think about, right? I mean, just watching this guy's career from, you know, Mexico, Japan, WCW, WWE, and now in AEW. I mean, it's just wild. Like, is this like, I mean, people always talk about Rock and Austin and Hogan and like the runs they had, but is this like the best run in professional wrestling history, what Chris Jericho has been able to do at this level for so long? Um, It's hard to, you know, clarify the best. I think think it's the best. But I think it's, uh, what isn't hard to clarify is impactful. You look at the impact of what Jericho did uh, when him and Kenny started tweeting each other uh, back in 2017. They had the entire internet worked that, you know, they didn't like each other and that this was a, this was a match that was brought out of an argument online. And, you know, and we've just continued on that same pattern with AEW. They don't waste anything. They use everything. That's why our characters seem fresher. That's why our storylines are more, uh, uh, they grab you more. And it's really cool to see the finished product. Absolutely. Jake, I appreciate the time as always. I could pick your brain for another hour easily, but you got a fight to get ready for tomorrow uh, as we record Mohegan Sun Arena, Uncasville, Connecticut, Bellator 250 against Brandon Colton. All the best to you, Jake. Great catching up with you, man. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Big thank you to Jake Hager making his first appearance on What the Heck, All the Best Him Tonight against a guy who has been on a finishing rampage on the local scenes. This is a good test for Jake Hager coming up later today at Bellator 250 as we move ahead to a man who had one of 2020's gnarliest MMA injuries, New England's Johnny Campbell. And you may have seen Friday, maybe Saturday morning, as you woke up to prepare for UFC 254, there was a man who almost lost his ear in a fight on Friday night in Brazil at Tora MMA 10. So let's get an update on everything from the man himself, Johnny Cupcakes Campbell. All right, we have Johnny Campbell joining us right now. This man has had quite a couple of weeks stretch. He's a fighter from New England, took a short notice fight in Brazil on short notice to fight for the interim Bantamweight title against Ari Farias at Tora MMA 10. The fight begins 
Farias has his back and then the referee stops it. Why does he stop it? Because this man, Johnny Campbell's ear was almost attached to there is from his head. It was just a gnarly scene. So I wanted to have Johnny on and talk all about it. And I appreciate it very much. Johnny, my friend, thank you for doing this. How are you, sir? Mike, fantastic. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. Uh, I, I love being on, so uh, it's I, yeah. Like we said, I wish it was under somewhat different circumstances, but as with anything in life, everything is perfect exactly the way that it's going, and it's all about the perspective of the observer, and that's what I'm doing with this. It's like ah, it, it couldn't have gone better. If that doesn't sound like you know almost. Uh, psychopathic but it's like uh it went fucking perfectly so i mean uh yeah it's awesome actually it's pretty hilarious well first things first before we kind of go chronologically through this whole thing how are you feeling like how is the year right now I mean, it feels pretty awesome. It feels uh, a little bit swollen. That's like the only thing. Uh, so I think once the swelling goes completely down, it's almost going to look better than before. <laughs> so I, uh, both my cauliflower ears were pretty bad, but this one was somewhat grotesque looking. Just it didn't even look like cauliflower ear. It looked like it was almost like mutilated. So, um, I mean, I think it's going to actually look better, you know? So, um, yeah, it feels pretty solid. I did just, I know that I can't do any contact. So, um, I just can't wait to start, you know, sparring and rolling again. It's like the main thing is that I, you know, I done sparring and rolling, even if I wasn't fighting, it's just like, that's I play video games. I teach people how to do martial arts and then I do martial arts. Those are like the three things that I do. And, um, I'm like, you know, whatever it is, 36 hours in, I'm already going bonkers because I can't wrestle with people. So uh, that's like probably the worst part right now. Has it like affected? Can you hear out of it? Like, is it affected in that way at all? No, I mean, pretty darn good. Like, there's definitely still some dried blood in there that I can't. I mean, they had me turn over in order to sew it up, and it was, like, just pooling blood in there. So I haven't, like, got all of that out as of right now. I see a Dr. Friday. But, um, yeah, I mean, I can hear pretty darn good. At the moment when the cauliflower was, like, falling off of my ear, it was, like, blocking my hearing. That was, like, one of the things I noticed that was, like, off. But, uh uh, yeah, no, I can hear pretty darn good. I think it's going to be like perfect. <laughs> well, that's a great perspective on this. And it's I've talked about this quite a bit on the show and other shows that this year has just been a nightmare for a lot of people. It's been extremely tough on the regional MMA scene, very much so in our region in the country in New England. Like CES had an event a couple of weeks ago. But outside of that, there hasn't been much going on because of all the restrictions. And you've been ready. I've seen you on Facebook. You've been looking for an opportunity for a while. How did this fight in Brazil come to be? Like, when were you approached with this? Uh, I was approached on Saturday, uh, two Saturdays ago. So I think it was like 13 days. I was at a grappling tournament. I had at least done one match at that point, And I got a text message from Mike Pulver, and he said, uh, you know, I had a boxing match scheduled, actually. So I had, fi I had just finally decided to F it. I was just going to do a boxing match. It was pretty short notice. So I felt like it was like a small window, a couple weeks. I could like just jump in, do it, and then an MMA fight might still come along. And just the universe being kind of a tricky little bitch, uh, I, the, I had the boxing match and then the MMA fight comes on. So now I – 
pull from the boxing match. Um, a, just, I say yeah, absolutely to a Brazilian uh, f- fight in Brazil against a world champion jiu-jitsu fighter. Uh, I didn't need – there was zero hesitation. I had put up a Instagram post like you know within a few weeks. I think it was August 26th maybe, and I said I will fight any 35er on earth on two weeks' notice. And sure enough, bam, Ari Farias, two weeks' notice. Let's do it. So – uh, yeah, I, I understand that Richie Santiago actually got right, re, was uh, approached first, and just things didn't work. He, I mean, I don't think he was quite as like ready as fuck as I was. So I was like right about on weight cut time uh, or weight cut schedule kind of weight. So um, I was ready to go. Richie said, hey, man, what about cupcakes? You know, he's on a tear. Um, I, I know I love Richie for that. He came with me down there as well. Um, and then, yeah, it was pretty much off to the races immediately. I needed some uh, some uh, medicals getting done uh, for, for the Brazilian commission. And then um, – uh, that, yeah, and then I just needed to get my plane. I, I didn't have a corner right away, so my team is super, like oddly enough, super active right this second. We had the dark horse. She took a short notice fight. Then Gianetti, he uh, set up uh, his fight. That's this weekend, I think. And then um, uh, Christina. Uh, Kasika, she also she, she locked a fight down for uh, Bellator that I don't know if she's doing uh, for November 5th. So it was like four weeks in a row. And then I needed someone short notice to go down to Brazil and nobody really could. No passports or, you know, like Jojo would have absolutely done it for me. But I went out to England with him, but he had a fight that he needed preparation for you know right then and there so i had like nobody mike pulver though and richie santiago our animals cage titans family and came out with me and uh and got the job done um but uh yeah it was it was a crazy little roller coaster ride there were times that i was like man this fight's just not gonna happen they were like they were like hounding pulver to, for medicals and certain things while I'm trying to get them done and it would get to a point where like 11 p.m. they'd be like hitting me up like yo dude where are your medicals where what's your who's your corner man because we need to set your flights I had people on the card from Canada hitting me up like yo dude did you get flights yet because we're waiting to make flights and I'm like um no I didn't uh I wonder why we're not getting our flights uh I, I mean I so it was like right down to the wire and we end up we end up making it happen so it was just awesome i mean absolute perfect uh beautiful experience it was wonderful i know like kind of going through your career like you most of your fights were like with cage titans reality fighting and others but and i know you had a fight for titan titan fc and i know that was in new england too is in lowell in 2014 so this was your first fight outside of new england right uh yeah i think so i think so pretty darn i i can't even yeah, everything's been like Connecticut and uh, Massachusetts and New Hampshire and stuff and things. Um, yeah, it was a huge opportunity, huge opportunity. I mean, at four, I had four wins in a row, all finishes against some of like Massachusetts biggest guys at the time. Like all guys were ranked in some way. Um, so it, I was just set up like at the perfect time. I was waiting for like contender series or maybe Bellator. Um but I was ready for anybody, and I felt like Ari was just like a fantastic opportunity. I mean, he's a bad man, fantastic on the ground, but I felt like I I could easily win that fight. So uh, it was like all in, and I, yeah, I was, you know, yeah, I was lucky in a way. <laughs> 
So you guys are getting ready to fight. You have the weigh-ins and you have the face-off, and that's where things really got interesting with this fight, Johnny. There was some pushing and shoving. You guys had to be separated. A lot was said. I know as soon as you got shoved that you were going to be saying some things. What happened there? Like, walk us through it from your perspective. Uh, it's a whole, like, it was just uh, an awesome perfect thing like I, I'm cutting weight uh, it's incredibly hard weight cut that was like in right to the last pound I mean 136 to 135 is is tough and I hadn't cut weight in like eight months and everything went pretty smoothly but it was just like arduous I felt like and I'm walking in to the place to weigh in and I see that he's off doing his interview and I was just like I don't know my inner Conor McGregor or whatever it is I was just like I'm gonna knock you out Ari Furious and I started yelling and got a little bit like hyped up I thought I had no sweat left in my body and all of a sudden my body's just perspiring perspiring for like no fucking reason like adrenaline was just raging through me and I'm like yelling like a madman I get on the scale and it in a video, he called me like a, a fanfaro, which is like a, a joke or I, I was told there's no direct translation for what he called me. But it's like basically like he, he said that I was going to eat my words and that I was kind of like a joke. And I could kind of feel that he was revved up about it in a way. And he got on the scale and we were supposed to like step out and like look at the cameras first and then face off and as soon as he came off the scale I knew that he was coming to me I could just tell that he was not gonna go and face so I stepped up and he pushed me it was just perfect love it I that's exactly what I wanted I mean I wanted so badly to uh just I, I love the I feel like fighting is definitely the the center of what I do but it's like uh, surrounded by a ring of a performance or like almost like a somewhat of a costume I guess I mean I am myself but I know that this is about excitement and drama and when he was in on it in any way emotionally it was like man it was like somebody shot me up with some kind of fantastic drug so I stepped up and when he pushed me it was just oh I love it because I could tell and feel that he was trying to intimidate me and the simple fact that I, w I was willing to fight him right there and I don't necessarily mean that I thought I was gonna but in that moment, I was I would have 100 percent just fought him. And I feel like he knew that. And if you watch the fucking tape closely, when I come back at him, he kind of like takes the first step back. No doubt. One hundred percent. He kind of steps back like, oh, shit, he's very real right now. And then we kind of bark at each other. I had decided or said previously that I felt like he was going to most likely just sniff my crotch for most of the match, like George Masvidal, uh, Jorge Masvidal style. Like he just definitely was going to be trying to take me down. So uh, I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. I love the Brazilian people, but I simply said that uh, he was going to sniff my crotch and then I was going to put him to sleep because my intention was to knock him out and um and I went good he didn't take anything too personally I mean it's business but it's real like I don't want people to think that it's totally pretend because but it's a performance and I'm in there to like to make it exciting and I just love that Ari was kind of down for that even uh, hopefully because I've 
pulled him into it and I forced him into it. But um, he might have been having fun too, but it felt fucking real. I liked it a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of gamesmanship too. You want to see if you can push his buttons a little bit. Exactly. I felt like I was. I mean, we got in that cage. I shit you not, that man would not look my, me in the eye for more than a half, like a split second. His eyes were all over the place. He looked incredibly nervous in the cage. And I was like a lion looking at a piece of beef. I just wanted to just get on that man. And it just did not, I can now go the way that it was supposed to go. So, um, but I think it's just building anticipation. You know, I said it a couple of times. I feel like I have blue balls of the fists right now. Like I wanted to punch him in the face so badly and I was right in front of him. And then we just didn't get to like totally climax. So, uh, next time, you know, that was very descriptive right there. John. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sorry. so, so, I mean, obviously a lot happened in 25 seconds. So, I guess my question is, how did it happen? Like, did you feel the ear just start to detach? Like, did it all happen in one fell swoop? Did it slowly start to chip away? Like, did you even feel it? Like, what happened? No, I mean, I didn't entirely feel it. So what, like, if you watch real close the uh he i throw a low kick at his calf it like half connects he blitzes at that time and like i like weave my head as he throws a right hand and it's like my head is coming kind of up as his his fist is going down and it just like like pulled my ear off basically and i felt like a very sharp hit I, it was like, wow, why did that just hurt so bad? Like, I, I kind of saw the punch coming, and it was like, all right, we're going to get hit. And if you watch in the video, he hits me with, like, a couple of shots that are, like, kind of grazing. And then I, like, stumble backwards and kind of lose my balance because my body was like, holy fuck. Like, my mind was not totally focused on the, the feeling of, like, pain, but it was like – that that smarted like way more than it probably should have i don't know why like i wasn't rocked but it was like yikes that was sharp and i kind of fall back and like end up bouncing off the cage and i shot in on him he kind of rotated to my back he throws like a elbow to the directly to the back of my head and i say and there's a picture of me like yelling and it's because when he elbowed me in the back of the head, I go, yo, that was to the back of the head. And the referee, I think he acknowledged it. I mean, people are saying that they think it's the elbow that, that busted my ear, but it wasn't. I mean, I had, I have like, a, you know, uh, a soft spot on the back of my head from where he elbowed me because I think he was so nervous. He didn't even fucking think about what he was doing. He just throws an elbow to the back of my head. We roll. It was only one off. So it's not like it's a big deal. And if, again, if you watch the video, close i just watched on my computer like a big screen or bigger screen for the first time the ear is already like it flops out as he kind of takes my back and it's because it just literally like it, it the top of the ear this all stayed right where it was but like this cauliflower just like fell <laughs> outwards and he was going for the choke and i just remember like my body knew something was up, but my mind was not interested in that in that information. It was like a part of me knew, yo, something's not like right on the left side of your head. But my mind was focused on fucking the world champion black belt on my back. 
And all I can remember thinking is like, man, he's not nearly as strong as I thought. I figured if he's on my back, he's just going to rape my face and just crush my head. And it was like, no, like he's not doing that. You know, he puts on a nice tight body triangle. I immediately get to my knees, which is generally not an easy thing to do when some, when a fucking world champ is on your back. And, you know, it's like, I'm defending good. And then I see the blood on the floor and I'm like, man, he cut me with that fucking punch. Like he did, it did not, I did not think that was going to hit that hard. How did that happen? And then I look and the ref kind of looks at me a little bit awkwardly and I'm continuing to defend. And then the ref comes in and he, and I was like, man, he's going to check this cut. Like how bad could this cut really be? That, that shot was not that hard. This is kind of weird. And he and I can still tell something's not right, but I don't know what it is. He says, then he starts waving his hands off before he even says anything else. And I'm like, dude, I just took like, this just took two days to get down here. I cut 15 pounds yesterday. Uh, they have these motels that people go and like hook up to in, uh, in Brazil. You can rent the room for like 20, for like 12 hours at a time. It's like the only place you can find a sauna in Brazil or Rio. So we go to this CD motel with a hot tub and a sauna and a rubber bed and we cut weight for fucking whatever it is like 12 hours like damn near 15 pounds I was a little lighter than I normally am when I started dehydrating but it felt like I was dehydrated already from the trip like from flying for like 24 hours so it's like I didn't quite cut as much as I have in the in the past it still felt like it was one of those like 15 pound fucking weight cuts so it was tough so tough and now it's been like 40 seconds and he is stopping the fight and I'm like what is going on and he says no your ear it exploded and I'm like huh my ear and then it kind of comes in it was like oh that's what that feeling is on the side of your head like your fucking ears is it hanging off right now and in the video, you can see I like reach up and kind of like cup it real quick. And yeah, yeah, it was like hanging off my fucking head. It did not really hurt all that bad necessarily, but it was just like, shit, I guess we can't continue, I guess, you know? And then Ari came over. He was fucking cool as fuck. You know, um, we maybe we bowed or whatever uh, and whatnot. It was pretty, it was good. It was good times. They immediately got me out of there. I'm like, wait, we don't even get to, I don't even get to see him get the belt on. They're like, nah, get the, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like we have to sew that shit up. Thankfully it was just like 20 stitches. So 20 stitches and I laughed a lot. It was kind of funny. So I mean, just a wacky experience. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a story you'll have forever. And, you know, I mean, w when you're getting written up by like all these major websites and stuff, you're like, yeah, I got a contender series fight. Like you're, you're expect, you know, Johnny Campbell is a flash KO highlight reel for for Bellator. But now yep. you're the guy with the ear right now. Like, it's crazy. Exactly. You know, heading into UFC 254, you know, you were like one of the top stories of the day on Saturday. Oh, like, well, I mean, it's not the best thing, but still, like your name was out there. Is Are, are you OK with that? Definitely, definitely. So it's kind of like that perspective I got. I, it is 100% a good thing. Um, I've said it a little, a couple times, an analogy. I feel like I'm in a pinball machine and I'm, I was like kind of bouncing around and I landed in one of those like holes where you get like the bonus and I'm just fucking, it's like, I feels for a second, like I'm stuck, but I'm just like gathering so many points right now. I got so many Brazilian fans who are reaching out they fucking 
just it, like they like gritty fighters i think and they to like see somebody who they, you know it, like you're watching the video and you're like oh yeah shit dude's on his back oh wait they're stopping it why are they stopping it and they're like holy shit his ear is fucking <laughs> hanging up it's like how long did he fight with his ear hanging up but it's the, like as far as you know so you could be the greatest fighter a fucking perfect record immaculate and then you run into a brick wall and they can't fight through it where it's like my career is defined by never giving up like all of my struggles or most of them you know third world i mean first world problems probably have been in the cage it's like the and so people know that i'm not gonna ever give up so now it's like well can you back it up with good fighting and i think i've shown that i can i think i've weeded out all like the mistakes and you know whatever it is that i went through throughout my career that didn't let me be one of those perfect fighters but it's like i am still standing here as one of the top guys i'm like ranked number one right now coming off a fucking loss in the northeast and i believe the in new england as well i'm like number eight right now in the united states behind mostly like ufc vets or current ufc guys who haven't got off the regional um list yet it's like and now I just need to get back in there. Tor is already talking about January for me. So as long as this year and I, I take care of it, I'm going to be in front of that huge audience again. And this time I intend on, you know, climaxing all over this man. So, you know what <laughs> so they're, they're thinking about doing the rematch. Probably not Farias. I think. I mean, it is what it is. So, I mean, funny. He uh, reached out to me after. He's wicked nice. But, I mean, we had a somewhat controversial ending to that fight, and he already said that he wants to, like, train together. So, I mean... I don't know if he doesn't want to fight me or whatever it is, but he's a champion right now. He's the interim champ, so he's going to be fighting whoever that champion is for sure, and I'm excited to see how that goes. I'm looking to hopefully fight whoever the Torah feels is like, uh, you know, if they do a, a rankings list, then I want to fight whoever is underneath Furious so that when that championship bout is available again, if it's a rematch with him, then that would be tremendous, and whoever it is, I, I just want to... Um, biggest fights that i could possibly fight that's that's when i say that i want to fight the best uh 35ers on earth on two weeks notice i mean that 100 percent um i was in there with that man and it would have been so glorious to be able to fight that fight to a, a legitimate ending so um but everything happens for a good reason so i'm super blessed so did you sign like a multi-fight deal with them or Dude, did it it feels like I did. It feels like they're treating me as if I'm like part of their, uh, their organization now. I mean, they, they, um, yeah, they told me that I'm in on, on January that, uh, they're, they're saying that it feels great to have somebody like me in their organization. Um, I mean, I, they were, yeah, they, they're treating me like a fucking king or something. I, it feels like, so, I mean, they, they could just have good PR, but it feels like, um, I'm 100% going to be getting pushed in some way. Um, they, you know, they reached out like the next day, like, yo, could you please make an Instagram like post? Because, um, like we're getting inundated with, with people reaching out, asking if you're okay. And they want to know like how your ear is and stuff. So, I mean, the fans that they have, they have like 40,000 followers on Instagram, which is huge. And, um, yeah, they're, they're fantastic. I, I love them to death. I love the, uh, I love the Brazilian people. They're treated me fucking amazingly. So it's a great place. So you think you're going to be ready to fight in three months? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, the <laughs> doctor said two months to start training again. I mean, doctors always ear on the side of caution. So, I mean, my intention is to stay somewhat in shape. I mean, I'm, I'm 33. I'm not – when I was 23, I would just – you know, consume so much food after fights and stuff so that I would never be able to fight you know, on short notice again for like several months. But like now I, I just, you know, my body doesn't run off of that stuff as good as it used to. So I'm going to just naturally stay lighter. I mean, I can sprint, I can jump rope, I can shadow box, hit mitts. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like I've fucking done so many rounds in the gym. It legitimately feels like I'm sparring when I go and I fight in a cage. I was fighting Ari for I mean, you know, I, it felt like I was just, felt like a sparring match. I don't even really need a lot of hard sparring rounds anymore. So definitely, I think January, I'm ready to go. So you've gotten a lot of support here from the Brazilian fans. Clearly, New England always has your back. I did see that uh, your old buddy Jay, Jay Perrin had some things to say, kind of scoffed at it, laughed at the result. And I feel like, you know, once the you fight only. locally again, I feel like that's the fight to make at this point. And I, I read some things that maybe they're going to try to put that on the CES car, but it never came to fruition. So, I mean, if you had the choice, are you going back to Torah or if like someone came to you locally and said you versus Perrin CES, you know, 62 or whatever, like, what are you going to pick? We did that one. I'd probably be weighing in, the, in that case there because there's just that I would love that fight. I mean, I, I, I give fucking Perrin an opportunity in front of the Torah fans. I don't care. Bring him in. And it's down in Florida. I mean, I feel like he's a pretty cheap date. I don't think that he would require much payment to, to get in the cage. So, I mean, I'd bring him down there and smash him down there. He knows I would whoop that his ass. He knows it for sure. He's out of his mind. He's barking up the wrong tree. He would have been way smarter to be just like, yeah, dude, he's a fucking dog. You know, we'll mix it up in the future or something like that to go and be so in secure that he needed to be literally the only person pretty much on earth to be like yeah dude fuck that he's a pussy he wanted out or some shit it's like please please he knows that i would whoop his ass i we i told him to fight me in october ces would have loved to put that fight on they would have loved to that card was stacked and if you put that card that fight at the co-main main i mean wherever that would have been massive he's out of his mind he said he needed two and a half months or something to make weight it's like bro are you not ready to go like real fighters right now during covid are training like animals and they're ready to go i was ready to fight at 135 even against a world championship level fighter on 13 days notice and then jay perrin is gonna say anything that dude is a he's literally a joke it's funny in a way that he would be the joker because he's a fucking joke i would smash the fuck out of him and he knows it 100 he has zero chance the only reason he beat me in that first fight is because i did not think he was gonna fight like a pussy he grabbed onto me he held on to me i was not fully prepared for that it was my mistake 
fool me once, shame on what is it, right? Joe, I don't want to George Bush. Shame this on shit, you. But shame like, on you. Then me. Yeah, man. Fool me twice. Shame on me. I will fuck that man up and he knows it. I am so far beyond him, but I would 100% smash him if he wanted it. So Torah, CES, if, if, I mean, I, I feel like I've always been Wolverine-like. And if I heal this thing up in a couple weeks, they take those stitches out and I feel good. I will fight in December, potentially smash the fuck out of him and then go and fight in Torah in January. That's how I don't want to be too, too much, but this is literally how I feel. Um, I feel like I, I see like Chemaev and what he does, and I feel so comfortable fighting, you know, rip my ear off. I don't really care. I feel for like fighting is one of the easiest things that I do. Cutting weight a thousand times more difficult than fighting. So I want to just fight as many times as I can. I, I feel like I could go for another five to seven years easy at the at like peak performance and and I'm ready to do that and, and yes I would start it off with Jay Perrin. I mean he yeah. He's a bitch. I mean seriously how refreshing was that? I mean considering <laughs> Everything that happened to that man, Johnny Campbell, handling things like an absolute champion. He says he wants to fight in January, and if he does, that is just unbelievable. Just unbelievable. And Johnny, listen, if, if this is the first time you're hearing or seeing Johnny Campbell, go to his Tapology page, read up on him. This is a guy who has experienced the ups and the downs of the sport. His last year, year and a half, two years, has been absolutely bananas. But really happy to have him on the show. I just wish it was under better circumstances, but really good stuff from Mr. Cupcake's Johnny Campbell. We head to our final chat of the show, Dustin Jacoby, back in the UFC, back on the show. He returns to the Octagon for the first time since January of 2012 when he was submitted by Chris Camozzi at UFC on Fox 2. UFC on Fox 2. That was a long time ago. He moved on to a kickboxing career, he still sprinkled in some MMA fights for the likes of Bellator, Titan FC, World Series of Fighting from around 2012 to, I don't know, early 2015, something like that. But mostly, it was mostly fights for glory kickboxing. He returned to MMA competition in June of last year in Colorado for Sparta Combat League. And on that night, he won a boxing match, a kickboxing match, and an MMA fight against a former UFC heavyweight in Cody East. He did that all back to back to back, all on the same night. Three fights, three different disciplines, three different versions of combat sports, and he won all of them. Gets on the Contender Series, put on a hell of a show against Ty Flores, and Dana White gave him his chance at a second UFC run. He is back this Saturday against Justin Ledette on Halloween at UFC Vegas 12. Here he is, Dustin Jacoby. All right, we have Dustin Jacoby back on the show. He returns to the hallowed UFC octagon for the first time in almost nine years on Halloween. He takes on Justin Ledette. Dustin, good to see you, man. How are you? Good, man. Uh, you know, training's going well, and and uh, I'm excited for Halloween this year. There you go. How is uh? I mean, obviously, you have a fight coming up, but how's the golf game these days? I mean, there's still very few feelings in the world better than hitting a good golf shot, right? A hundred percent, man. Um, I've been playing. I have- I haven't been playing as often September hit and I, and I started chasing elk in the mountains, you know, archery elk season. And I think I played one time in September, a couple of times, you know, this month, but uh, it slowed down, but I still, we are going to try to get out this weekend, but it's supposed to snow here on what? Sunday. Like, yeah, 
there's like a higher than 60% chance. So, um, I think golf season's kind of winding down, but I, I always usually get out in December. There you go. Yeah. I, I think the latest I go, cause we're in Massachusetts, we try to get out the day after Thanksgiving. Cause like nobody's out there. It's always like 30 right. degrees. It sucks. And you, you can't putt <laughs> for anything, but it's still fun. Yeah, you gotta want to be out there for sure. So we spoke right after you got the contract back to the UFC on the contender series. And you said that regardless of what Dana White or anybody else said, you knew that someday the second chance with the UFC would come. So as you're preparing for this fight, how would you say this camp compares to maybe the contender series one? Is there like a different kind of nerves or is this just another camp for just another fight? You know what? Honestly, I don't feel any nerves. I feel more, I'm just anxious. I'm ready to go out and perform. And, and I felt that way, uh, you know, dating back like seven, eight fights ago. Um, like 2016 ish is 2016, 2015, 16 is when like the nerves kind of went away and I was more just ready to go out there and perform and just showcase all of the hard work and, and, and that's being done in the gym and in the dark and, um, you know, ready to perform under the lights. So no nerves, man. Um, I, I'm feeling excited. I win, lose or draw. I'm going to go out there and I'm, I'm going to put on a good performance. You know, I, I know I'm more than ready to, to step in there. I'm prepared and now it's time to execute. What, like, how would you compare it to like the first run with the UFC in those two fights? Like, what was the feeling like in those camps? Like, I know it's, I mean, you've, you've done, you've got so much more experience now than you did then you've gone through like so many different levels of combat sports and all in this different road that you've, that you're on to get you to where you're at. But how different was it back then? Oh yeah. It's night and day difference, man. Back then, um, you know, I, a lot of emotions would be into it. I've learned that, you know, too much emotion is not a good thing. You want to be, you want to be a little, I'm usually a little emotional, but if you, if you fight on emotions, it's never a good thing. And, uh, back then I always thought I was ready. I'd get like real pumped up and I thought I had to like get myself mad or angry or psyched up, you know, and, and now it's more of, you know, it's my job. This is what I do for a living. And, and, uh, you know, I train daily, I prepare daily. So it's an opportunity to go out there and execute. Whereas in the past, um, you know, I was just going, I, I don't know, I guess looking at it now, kind of walking blindly, so to speak. I mean, it, it sounds weird, but I mean, I, I feel like I was preparing uh, properly back then, but I nowhere near what I do these days. And um, you just get much more comfortable in there. And like I said, I'm excited to go, you know, perform. It's kind of a like a freeing feeling, I guess. I mean, it's it, I mean, you're, you're getting in there and about to throw punches and receive punches from another human being in a locked cage. But it's got to be yeah. more freeing than it did than it felt maybe eight years ago. Right. A hundred percent, man. I mean, it's so much it's and everything about it, like the fight week back then. I remember my first fight in Vegas, you know, and all, all of my friends and family were there and they were going out and you know, having fun each night and I would want to be with them and, and, uh, not, not realizing the task at hand and, you know, the opportunity that I have in front of me. And I think that this time around, you know, it's really going to show, I'm so excited. I feel comfortable. The UFC. And, and I think another thing that helps too, is knowing that it's going to be at the apex center with no fans. I mean, everything about it seems different right now. It seems much more underground, which I've always done really well on regional shows. I've always performed well when, you know, there's not a big, big hoopla around it. Um, and I, I'm excited to get back to the fans, especially now in the UFC, you know, to go out there and rock it. Uh, but I feel like it's a little bit easier now without them because the, the pressure is, is less. It just seems like it's not there. And, 
Uh, you're kind of just in a, a, a big room with just a, a small audience, you know, 10, 15 people watching you. So there's no pressure, man. And, uh, and even with the pressure, I welcome the pressure. You know, I, I, I say preferences, pressure is a privilege and an honor. You know what I mean? Somebody gives a shit about what you're doing. So the time, I mean, the timing just seems perfect right now, not just because of what you just said, but you know, your team over at factory X is just riding this damn good wave of momentum after fight Island with, with Royval and, uh, Vendramini, James Crouch has got to win. I know Yusuf took his first UFC loss, but it was a fun fight. Cause he's such a gamer. Alex Hernandez sure. is on this card with you as well. His first fight under the factory X banner. What's the vibe like over there right now? Dude, the vibe is rocking. I mean, there's something special brewing over there at Factory X that we've had going for, you know, a couple years now and, and, and even longer than that. You know, everybody, uh, you know, coach was talking to us the other day and he was like, hey, man, I had one of you guys reach out to me and say Brandon changed his life in two fights. And coach was like, you know what? You're wrong. Brandon changed his life, you know, when he was 16 years old and he was riding his bicycle to the gym. And, you know, never missing a class. And, and even when he was injured, he'd be sitting on the sidelines taking notes. And, uh, you know, Brandon is, is that guy, man. He's going to be the champ at 125. And, and we all know it. We've all known it for years. Uh, Brandon knows it. And and everybody else just being surrounded by all those people, you know, we say iron sharpens iron. And that's exactly what it is. It's so inspirational to watch those guys, to see your coach on TV every weekend, to see your teammates on TV and having success. You know, it's just raising the bar and everybody's leveling up because now I want to go out there and outperform those guys, you know, and then they're going to go out and outperform me and we just keep raising the bar. And it's pretty cool, man. How tired is Mark Montoya right now? I mean, the guy was on friggin' Fight Island for for like a month, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it was like five, five weeks, six weeks, something like that. But yeah, he came back. He, his schedule was all messed up, but he was still in the gym. And uh, yeah, he, he's happy to be home. We're happy to have him back. You know, it's good to work with coach. And he really is a great leader, man, a great mentor, a guy that when I fight, I do enjoy having, you know, in my corner because I know just the way he looks at me, the way he talks to me. Um, he's been through it. He knows what's going on. And, and uh, you know, just a great guy. So let's talk about the matchup because you're going to be facing Justin Ledette, a man who came into the UFC as a heavyweight. He was unbeaten in his first 10 fights. Then he makes a decision, despite the success, to drop down to 205. And since then, he hasn't been able to pick up a win. He's still a guy who's put a lot of guys away in his career. His back is against the wall here. How did you like the matchup when it was presented to you? Yeah, when it was first presented to me, I was actually on the golf course. I got a call from from coach, my manager, and I had an interview. I was talking about this uh, like a week ago, and he's like, "Well, how did you play after you got the call?" And I honestly, I couldn't remember. I, I was like, "I, you know, I know I probably lost focus a little bit." Well, a buddy of mine who I was with that I played with, he's like, "Dude, he's like, you don't remember?" I'm like, "What?" He's like, "You got the call. I got the call. We we're on a tee box on that hole." I, it was a par five. I chipped in for Eagle and I ended up shooting an 80 that day. I was like, how did I forget that? But it, you know, it was, it was back in like middle August. So I wish during that interview, I could have phoned a friend, you know, and asked him, but I was like, man, if I, if that, if I get that opportunity again, I have to mention that. So I got the call dude. And, and I was pumped. I was with, we had two groups, you know, eight, seven other buddies. And, uh, you know, we, I, I let them all know everybody's jumping, hooting, hollering. We having a great time, you know, it's right after my last fight. So, you know, we were just having a really good time. And, uh, and then I, I took the later that day, you know, I looked at Justin Ledette, started looking him up a little bit and I absolutely loved the matchup. And I told coach, man, like, this is like a, a you know, a tailor made matchup for me. And he's like, I know that's why we accepted the fight. 
And uh, with that being said, man, Justin Ledet, I mean, he's a gamer. Everybody in the UFC is tough. He, he's very good. I, he's good everywhere. He's a good boxer. Uh, he shoots takedowns. He's good on the ground. Um, and he's a big guy. So, and you throw, take all of that. The guy's 0-3 in his last three fights. He's fighting for his job. So I anticipate that I'm going to be fighting the most game, the most ready, you know, the most skilled Justin Ledet that's went to the UFC octagon and, you know, I welcome that, man. I've been, I've been in the ring with some absolute killers and, you know, I've, I've had my time that where I've taken some losses and I've taken some L's and I think that's just hardened me over my career. And now I'm ready to go out there and end his career with the UFC and start mine. Yeah. And, and to sort of touch on what you just said, because I mean, like you said, you, you've been a guy, you've had your ups and your downs in the combat sports world, and you've experienced a lot over the years. So having said that, I'm curious, is there, is there more motivation heading into a fight coming off of a win or coming off of a loss in your opinion? Well, the, you know, the old saying like your next fight's always your hardest fight. Um, I think, I, I think mentally, at least for me, whether I, you know, lost my last fight or whether I won my last fight, I don't really think about that. I just think about what's next, you know, what's ahead. Um, you know, I don't necessarily fight harder because I lost last time and I don't fight easier because I won, you know, I just, um, I prepare for each fight, you know, the way it's supposed to be. I, I you know, I prepare and um, it's just about out there going out there and performing under the lights and executing during the time that the 15 minutes that you're allowed. Have you always been like that? No, I haven't, man. I've been, I mean, I guess my mind, I've never thought about wins or losses, but I just feel like I just prepare much better these days. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a little older. I'm 32. I'm more mature in my career. Uh, you know, and I look at it more like a job, you know, there's, there's things that must be done in order to check the boxes and, and win the fights. And, and, uh, you know, you, sometimes you don't have choices. Like you, you just don't, I mean, if you want to succeed and you want to win that you can't go one way that there's only one line and you have to check those boxes and, and, and you don't have choices. You've got to do what it takes. In a weird way, I feel like this is kind of in, not not completely, but kind of like a deja vu fight from the the Flores fight because Justin's a very durable guy. Like he got finished by a ridiculous combination from Johnny Walker, like the hook kick right. into a spinning back fist combination. But that's the only time he's been put away in his career, and he's been in trouble a few times. I know you're going to go in there and you're going to look for the highlight reel finish, but. You know, did the experience of your contender series fight hitting Ty with everything but the kitchen sink and somehow him still going the full 15, does that give you a nice little boost knowing that, hey, if I don't get him out of there quick, I'm good for 15 minutes? Yeah, absolutely. Because, and another thing is, you know, with Ty Flores, I was, it was a huge opportunity, you know, it was like a, a statement to get back to the UFC, to, to make my mark, to show Dana White that I was ready. And, you know, that entire day, I, I was just, I wasted a lot of energy. Um, and, and with this fight, I'm going to be much more calm. I'm going to be much more poised. Uh, I'm certainly going to try to put him out because that's what I do. Every fight I fight, you know, I, I go for the knockout. I go for the finish. Uh, but if the fight does go 15 minutes, I think I'm going to be more reserved. Not, not that I'm going to hold back. I just, uh, you know, I've, I've just been preparing, um, you know, a little bit more. I guess you could say I've really focused on my cardio. And, and like you said, I know Justin's a tough guy. I know he's very durable. And, you know, look, you look at those losses. Those are to some top name guys, some high level guys. So um, I'm excited. 
to push the pace with them. You know, I'm certainly going to be trying to finish the fight and, and going all out, going for broke, but it's going to be in a much more poised manner. What's cool about this card as well is you're on the same card with Anderson Silva, who was the middleweight champion the first time you were in the UFC. And according to Dana White, and I think he confirmed it himself earlier this week, this is going to be the final fight of Anderson Silva's career. So what does that mean to you to be on this card sharing it with Anderson Silva, knowing that this could be the very last time he steps into that cage? Oh, man, it's awesome just to be in the presence of Anderson Silva. You know, the go when I first started this sport, I, he, he was the, the guy that like just blew your mind every time he stepped in there and, and everybody wanted to be like him. And, and I just I always looked up to him and to be able to be, you know, in the same fighter meeting as him and in the same presence as him. And and now an opportunity to go out, perform, perform him. You know, I want to I'm not fighting him. But I want to steal the show. I want to be the talk of the night. I want to be the guy that everybody's talking about, you know, the new light heavyweight prospect that just stirs up the whole pot. So uh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be super motivational. And um, if it is his last fight, man, what a career. Hats off to Anderson. I, I can't wait to, you know, pay my respect to the guy and shake his hand and meet him. And um, what, what's sad is that, you know, if it is his last fight, it'll be in, a, in an arena with no fans. You know, that, that'll be kind of a bummer for uh, for him especially, but you know, um, I feel like that would be just kind of, I don't know. It's different. You know, 2020 has been different. I know DC and Anderson Silva, both retired, both having their last fights and no fans. I, I couldn't imagine doing that because the crowd, like there's something that unless you've done it and especially on that level with that many people and under those kind of lights and circumstances, like there's nothing better than making that walk and just hearing the crowd and everybody going nuts and seeing the people and just all the emotions and excitement and the people booing you and the people cheering for you. And it's just awesome, man. So uh, hopefully my last fight won't be at the Apex Center. It'll be in front of an audience. But, you know, what can you do? So uh, you mentioned this is, you know, interesting times. 2020 has just been, let's be honest. I mean, it's been a great year career wise for you because you're back in the UFC. But overall, it's been yep. kind of a sucky year. But did you enjoy, because I watched the video earlier this morning, did, did you enjoy giving yourself the no swab COVID test? How would you describe oh. that feeling? Because sure, you have to do it yourself and you can half-ass it, but if you get it wrong, then you have to do it again. I know, man. That's <laughs> what I'm worried about because we're on, we're on a Zoom call. And when I first got I'm like, well, why, why wouldn't I just have somebody else do this? And I send it in and like, you're on a Zoom call. I'm like, oh, man, you're right. But I, I go and I, and I do it and it's just – miserable because anything that goes up my nose, like I, I sneeze instantly. I just can't stand it. So I don't know if I got high enough. I don't know if, you know, I got deep enough in there. Who knows? And like you said, if I have to do it again, that's going to suck. But, um, ah, man, it's not enjoyable. I'd much rather do the mouth swab. <laughs> so how do we get this thing done on Halloween? You're doing this for a reason. You're sticking swabs up your nose for, uh, to get the victory, maybe do some bonus hunting UFC's first event back in Vegas. How do you give the company a, uh, a happy homecoming on Halloween, man? I'm going to go out there and just be me. I'm going to, I'm going to fight hard. I'm going to fight fast. I'm going to be first. You know, that's another thing with the dad. I, I anticipate him to come out and go, but he is kind of a, a slow starter. He is kind of a guy that, he, he doesn't strike first. I feel like he's capable of it, but he, he holds back a little bit from what I've seen. And, and, and hopefully he comes out firing and, you know, we get that fight of the night bonus, but I know I'm going to strike first. I know I'm going to go after him and, and I'm going to look for the finish, man. And, um, if I get it awesome. And if, if I don't, I know it's going to be the best 15 minutes that everybody's seen of me. And, you know, I'm prepared, man, I'm ready to do this. 
I got Cobra Kai vibes by you saying strike first. I don't know if you've watched the Netflix show at all. I, I started watching it. I, I watched like the first two episodes, but I need to get back and finish it, man. I, I'm terrible about Netflix. I always start a show after two or three episodes. I start something else and then I've got like 20 different shows I'm watching <laughs> and I lose track and it's, it's, yeah, it's hard to keep up with. Yeah. Wait till after the fight. Cause once you get to like episode four and five, you're not gonna be able to stop. So get that. Okay. Rest, and and that's what do. everybody said too. It's like the Harry Potter books. I remember back in junior high, everybody's reading Harry Potter and, I read, I remember I read like the first 70 pages. I was like, not for me. And then I went back to it and I read the next six books. Like as soon as they came out, it was an addiction. Like I had every single night, the only books at that time in my life. And until really this year that I had read, I mean, I, I just, I don't know what it was, man. I was addicted. (laughs) Well, I'm excited for the card, man. Excited for the return. Really excited to see you make that walk to the octagon. Once again, nearly nine years in the making, Dustin. Really appreciate the time as always. Glad we got to link up again and uh, congrats on the chip and Eagle, man. I haven't been able to experience that in my golf career yet. Oh man, it, it was so much fun. And I remember when I did it, like I was just like running around, you know, soaring my arms like an eagle and everybody's <laughs> kind of screaming and yelling. And, and, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun, but w- what's really cool about, uh, you know, I made my octagon debut October 29th, 2011. Oh, and 20. here I am October 31st coming back, making that walk nine years later, man. So, oh man, it's emotional. I'm excited, dude. I'm and and, uh, like I've been saying, I'm running down a dream. So. I'm pumped. The universe is lining up in a lot of ways for you, man. This is, oh yeah, it's kismet personified. <laughs> there he is, Dustin Jacoby, wrapping up another edition of What the Heck on MMA Fighting. Always appreciate you guys and gals checking out the show. It means a lot. And I can't believe it's been seven months since I started at MMA Fighting. What a crazy year 2020 has been. I'm just honored and proud to be a part of this team. And speaking of that, Wanted to give a shout out to my guy, my buddy, Jose Youngs, who did the damn thing, did the entire trip to Fight Island. He killed it. He's finally back home in the U.S. Hopefully he's getting some more rest. I know he did the A-side on Wednesday. The guy is a trooper. Big kudos to Jose Youngs. And that's it. Big thank you to y'all for watching and listening to the program. Big thank you to Casey Lydon on the production side. A giant thank you to Jose and Alex Savas for all the graphics and dealing with me, asking them for what seems to be a million things every single day to make this show happen from different graphics to different PSDs. This is inside base. We probably don't even give a crap what I'm talking about, but big thank you to them. They rule. We are done. We'll see you next week right here on what the heck. And as always have a heck of a week, everybody. Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.